uh, Christianity, new to the faith or uh, kind of exploring, uh, we, we are going to talk today about uh, the unseen realm. We're going to talk about things that are uh, a little mysterious, and yet according to Scripture, uh, there are real active beings that are um, in fighting, that are waging war, that are in the unseen realm, that a lot of times might not <clears throat> exactly explain why things happen on earth, but there can be some deductions that can be made by us uh, that gives us a little clear picture that uh, oftentimes things happen because there are forces at play. Uh, and, and I just want to ca caveat this message with uh, we can sometimes do an imbalanced thing uh, when we hear messages uh, such as this that we are going to hear today. Uh, we can go to certain extremes, and this is what oftentimes people of faith do. Uh, we either uh, will go to this extreme over here, whereby we kind of look for a demon behind every bush, and we uh, kind of explain everything uh, based on our own limited knowledge uh, by, by basically assuming that there are some kind of uh, spiritual forces that are constantly affecting uh, you know, everything. Now, that's true to a certain extent, but we are not without, we can't give an excuse and say, the devil made me do it, right? Uh, and then on the other side, and I would say most people in our particular uh, context, so in our culture, probably focus a little bit more over here, where we just uh, kind of cast it aside and don't think much of it in regards to the fact that there are spiritual beings in our midst, because we don't understand it, and we, of course, like that uh, level of control and understanding. And if we don't know everything about it, then we just assume that, you know, it, it just isn't real, really real, or do, it doesn't exist, or it's just not that bad of a, a situation. And I'd say there probably needs to be a healthy balance in between. And, and so what God will do for us and in us is he'll give us what's called discernment discernment, to understand on a deeper level that there are perhaps things that are happening in our midst that are affecting, uh, you know, behavior and affecting our country, affecting our culture, affecting our world. And it doesn't take us long to watch the news or read the newspapers that sometimes we just shake our heads and we say, man, what is going on? And, and how can people uh, do this to one another? And how can people respond this way? And, and uh, I think what we'll do today, hopefully, is give us a little more insight. And you'll be able to make these practical connections pretty easily to uh, some of the things that you're constantly bombarded with uh, in our culture. So um, I'm excited, uh, and yet this was kind of a tense week just preparing for this. I just want to let you know because uh, oftentimes when you uh, expose darkness uh, that doesn't want to be exposed, uh, there can be some chaos that, that ensues, and that, that happened a little bit uh, in, my, in my house. <laughs> so let's look at Genesis 3. This is as Adam and Eve took the fruit, disobeyed God, and uh, basically, 
uh, all hell broke loose. Uh, there was what's called, uh, you know, theologically is the fall, right? The fall of man and, and, and woman. And, and we were, were catapulted into uh, kind of a, a, a realm of, of brokenness because of disobedience. God never designed it ultimately that way. Uh, he designed a garden, a perfect garden for Adam and Eve. And uh, he gave them a choice because they weren't robots. Uh, so he gave them free will. Uh, but he basically gave them really clear instructions. And he said, you know, if you obey me and do what's right, you can eat of any tree. He gave them tons of options. He just said one thing not to do. And oftentimes that is the case with us, right? When you see a sign, do not do this, immediately your mind goes to, I wonder what it would be like to do that. Uh, that's just how we all operate. You know, uh, you, when, you, when you set up a law, uh, and I see this with my kids, immediately they're interested in what it means to actually potentially break that law. They didn't even care until I told them there was, some, there was a rule against it. And then now their mind goes uh, into these places of, hmm, I wonder what that would be like. And that's our human nature. That's what's called uh, depravity. It's, it's our just nature to, to pursue the things that we know are unhealthy and against the, the, you know, God's law and are things that are um, forbidden. And it, so it was the forbidden fruit. And it, we don't know if it was an apple. It just says the fruit. Uh, and so they chose to disobey God. And things began to spiral out of control. And so then it says in Genesis 3 that God actually spoke to this, this being, uh, a serpent. And it says, God, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, tempted Adam and Eve to do evil, cursed are you above all the livestock of the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and, and you will strike his heel. Now, what's this about? This is actually the first time the gospel, the good news, is conveyed in scripture. It speaks to the future of what God will plan to do based on uh, the rebellion, based on the fall. Uh, enmity is, is basically, it's conflict and it is animosity. And we see this uh, all over. We see animosity, we see enmity. And what, what God is saying specifically here is there will be a woman uh, who will give birth. There will be offspring, a seed of hers, of the woman. This speaks of Mary, who is going to give birth to the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus. And God says... He, Jesus, will crush your head, Satan, will crush you, uh, but you will strike his heel. And that speaks of the cross, that Satan, uh, tempt, that Satan used Judas, that used the religious leaders, used Romans to eventually usher Jesus to the cross. Jesus said, no one takes my life, I give it up of my own accord to to reveal to us that he still was sovereign and in, in total control. But this was the plan for the forgiveness of sins from the very beginning of time. To 
establish a, 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 a lamb who is slain, a perfect lamb of God, so that you and I, the imperfect, might be forgiven, might be set free. And so this was the very first mention of the gospel, uh, proenvigelion is the technical term, in the Bible, the first time that we see the, the foreshadowing of, of uh, Jesus coming. And, and so we see this serpent. Now, who is this serpent? Uh, Satan's actually not a name. It's a title. Just like Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. It's a title, Messiah, Savior. Well, Satan is a title. It means accuser, adversary. Uh, and so he's deceived by his own pride. And we, we get this from other scripture passages. Uh, he's a created being. He's a fallen angel. So there were angels that were created and that existed before human beings. Uh, and so this person, this, this serpent, this fallen angel, was a person of great intellect and power, deceived by pride, uh, by his own pride, uh, and then deceived our original mother and father, Adam and Eve. And ever since then, this has been the work of the enemy. Now, the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, is the picture of God as king, as God as king. We see uh, God sitting on his throne. We see um, that the worship manual of, of the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, right? Always invitation to enter into his courts, uh, to approach his throne, to enter into his gates. So we, speaking of God as king. Well, in Genesis 3, Satan has come to set up a counter kingdom to God's kingdom, a counter kingdom. He invites Adam and Eve to set up their own counter kingdoms instead of God's will. Now, God's kingdom, God's sovereign kingdom is the place wherever God's will is done. So therefore, wherever God's will is not done, that's a counter kingdom that comes against God's will. And that's what Satan's whole goal is uh, for all of humanity and for himself. He constantly, he's called anti-Christ. In other words, anti-Messiah, anti-Savior, anti-Christ. Everything he does is anti or contrary to God's will, to God's uh, kingdom. Okay, so uh, we all have a little bit of a sovereignty ourselves. You have free will. You chose this morning what to put on and you chose what to eat and you chose how fast or how slow you drove to church this morning. And so you have a certain level of, of sovereign ability and free will. And therefore you can choose to operate according and align yourself according to God's will or you have a choice. You can actually uh, operate in, contra in contrast to his will and operate in a counter way than what God designs. Okay, so this is, and we see this battle and struggle uh, on the earth all over today. So what we're going to do hopefully today is start to unpack what does that look like, that counter kingdom, that counter culture from God's kingdom. Because it's smart, it's good, it's wise to understand the schemes of our enemy. My son played in a soccer game yesterday. What did we do for pretty much the, the previous 24 hours to his soccer game? 
we studied the enemy. Uh, they weren't, they're not the enemy. We, we, actually, we actually looked at the team we were going to play. He plays at a very high level for his age. And therefore, these teams have a lot of strategy and there's a lot going on. And so we looked at the other team and we studied who they've played and who they've beat. We actually, we did this, just my son and I, we went to watch them play like a few weeks ago, this particular team, because we knew they were good. And we identified certain players. They have a center forward who's amazing. He can just turn and shoot from long distances and he can score very easily. So we know the tactics. We know the strategy. Shut that center forward down. We need to develop a strategy, therefore, that can counter and come against the enemy, okay? And you and I need to understand what we're up against. Because like I said, if you're over here and you just think you're tra-la-laing and this is, a, this is just a playground and not a battleground, you're going to get taken out. You're going to get duped and you're going to get tricked. So it's good for us to understand how does our enemy strategize? What does he do? What are his purposes? Uh, and so many of us, although we might acknowledge that there's some kind of war that we're involved in or that somebody's involved in, that the world's involved in based on world events, oftentimes we don't believe that we're actually in the middle of it. It reminds me of a painting of the Civil War with people who, with picnic baskets, went up on the hills to watch the boys fight. And it was like entertainment for them, right? And, and there was the battle out there, uh, but they were safe and they were just observing. Well, little did they know they are as well in a battle, in the middle of the battle for righteousness and truth and good and evil. But sometimes we are like these folks here, and we just think that there is some kind of spiritual battle. Maybe missionaries out in Nepal are really involved in the battle, but certainly here in El Dorado Hills and uh, up here in El Dorado County, you know, the battle just, uh, I, I don't really see it. I don't feel it. But I'm here to tell you, you are in a battle. You're in a battle for your mind, for your heart, for your soul. You're in a battle. Your kids, your grandkids are in the middle of that battle. So it's good for us to take stock, to understand how to deal with this battle. And so um, one thing I know that uh, we want to do uh, is we want to not be part of the problem. We want to be part of the solution. Okay? And so uh, if you think that you're not involved in the battle and you're not, that it's somehow out there, well, oftentimes you can actually be part of the problem without knowing it. How do I know this? Well, because Jesus, when he interacted with the religious leaders and the Pharisees, he told them they were slaves. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching and you're really my followers, uh, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. What does that imply? it implies that there's some kind of bondage or some kind of slavery going on, right? And they said, we're Abraham's descendants. So they were uh, holding to this kind of uh, historical, proud, you know, kind of connection as Jews to their great-great-great-grandfather, Abraham. 
And they said, we've never been slaves of anyone. They didn't realize the tactics of the enemy. They didn't understand that they were in the middle of a war, a battle for their souls. And they go, we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we shall be set free? So they knew what Jesus was talking about, but they disagreed. And Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. So they were blind. They didn't understand and they didn't see that they were being duped because they were coming against Jesus and Jesus was the savior of the world who was the chosen one sent by God and they were coming against him and they had no idea what they were doing. They were part of the problem, not a part of the solution. And so uh, we need to understand some things about our adversary. Uh, when Satan fell, he did not fall alone. We see that his pride led him to spark a rebellion. Uh, included a large number of angels, the Bible said, to join him. In Revelation uh, 12, 4, John says he swept away a third of the stars of heaven. And later they identify that these are fallen angels. But who is this enemy? Who is this? And the only way we can really understand is if we look in this book. This is how we understand what we're up against. So what is it? The, what are the words? What are the titles? What are the actions of our enemy? Lucifer means, it means son of the morning, shining one, or light bearer. It describes him before his fall, and Satan currently transfers himself as an angel of light. He's a disguise. He disguises himself to deceive the world. He's referred to in the Bible as the dragon. So they, this pictures his fierce nature and that he's on a mission to destroy. Uh, there's, a, there was a, there's a war in heaven, Revelation talks about. And Michael and his angels are fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels are fighting back. So we get these pictures from scripture. He's referred to as the devil. That's used 35 times in scripture. Describing Lucifer, Satan, as the devil. He's called, and this is what he does. And this is, any names that are given to him, this gives you an insight into what he does. He's called the murderer. He's called the liar. Uh, you belong to your father, the devil, Jesus said to these religious leaders. And he said, you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth. So he doesn't believe in the truth. He doesn't follow the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. If you ever meet people who are constantly lying to you, uh, that's a description of, of what the devil does, constantly lying, right? So that's why God says, speak truth to one another. Tell the truth because you are actually part of the problem if you get into this cycle of telling fibs and lies because that's who he is. He's the deceiver. He's the ruler of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. These are all characteristics that we read in scripture. Uh, you follow the ways of this world, the ruler of the prince of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, Ephesians 2. So it indicates Satan is in the realm moving around the earth. 
He says, the Bible says he roams around as a lion looking for someone to devour. He's called the destroyer. In Greek and Hebrew, it, it means he is the king over the angel, the abyss. And in the Hebrew name, it's Abaddon or Greek, Apollyon. Satan attempts to destroy all that is holy and precious to God. He's referred to as a tempter, uh, as the evil one. He's the god of this age, the Bible says. Uh, he was an anointed cherub. A cherub is an angel, a high-ranking angel. So there was beauty in him, but then he rebelled. And the Bible says that he took a third of the angels with him. He's referred to as Beelzebub. You've heard that word. Uh, that means the Lord of the flies. Uh, or as a roaring lion or Bilal. So we read about the fact that he, he does these things and he is a deceiver and he's a trickster. Uh, Paul says, I have forgiven you in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. Unaware of his schemes. So he's a schemer. In Revelation we read that the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to earth and his angels with him. So he's a tremendously powerful creature, influences governments and nations, but he's not omnipresent like God. You see, it's God the greater and Satan the lesser. And we need to understand that because it's not this equal battle where we're caught in between. You know, you watch those old cartoons and you've got, you know, uh, one on one shoulder, an angel or a Satan, and then an angel on the other, and it's like the person's caught in between. No, God, God there was not created. All things were created by God, including uh, Lucifer, including uh, Satan. And so when he rebelled, he became Satan, but he is, he is much less in power, and we're not caught in between, although unless we are united in Christ, and surrendered to Christ, then it's like we've got an open target on us. And we need to be aware that we can be vulnerable to his attacks. So we know a couple more things, and then we'll go through this and before we get to some practical steps of what we can do. Uh, we know that uh, the angels do not procreate, um, nor do they, um, do they multiply, uh, the Sadducees, who were a group of religious leaders, they didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in heaven and hell. They didn't believe in angels and demons. And, and Jesus was talking to them. And he said, you are in error. You do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. And so the same number of angels that existed in the beginning still exist now. So there's not a multiplication of angels. But we know there are thousands upon thousands. The Bible says myriads of angels. Uh, there are many angels, to, just as many today as there were in creation. There's no diminishing. There's no adding to the rank. Uh, scripture describes the number of angels in Revelation 5. I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. In Greek, it's like the biggest number you could declare. And what did they do? What are these angels doing? They encircled the throne, the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. 
Uh, we see as well some of the fallen angels are bound in everlasting chains. Jude 6, the angels who do not keep their positions of authority but abandon their proper dwelling. These would be fallen angels or dark angels. He has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on that great day. These could have been the angels during uh, the time of the flood described in Genesis 6. Uh, the sons of God cohabitated with humanity, it says. This kind of real mysterious, interesting verse. And there was a mixed race. And it says God drowned their offspring uh, in the flood and bound the angels with chains. Perhaps God has put more demons in that pit throughout redemptive history. And Luke 8, uh, when Jesus approaches a demoniac, someone who's possessed, the demons speak through this man to Jesus, and he says, what is your name? And they said, legion, because we are many, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. So they knew about this place, this, this pit, this dungeon, and they, they spoke through. So this is crazy stuff. Uh, but as we are true to Scripture, we need to understand what this means. And so we need to... Uh, we need to, as Christians, as believers, recognize we don't know everything about what's going on in the unseen realm, but we know that the Bible doesn't defend it. It just reveals it. It just tells it like it is. And so uh, I, I read in Daniel where, where it says, Daniel started praying and an angel appeared to him and said, I saw that you were praying two weeks ago, but I got held up from the prince of Persia, and there was some kind of battle going on. And then he says, and so he called Michael, the archangel, and to come and help and release him from this battle so that he could come and he could uh, then spend time with Daniel and speak to Daniel. Isn't that interesting? That, that so oftentimes when you want to step out and do God's will, that you might experience some resistance you might actually, when you want to go and serve people and love people and, and tell people about the goodness and the grace of God, that be prepared that you are going to experience potentially some resistance to do that. You know, we've experienced through this partnership in this church coming together, the reason why we feel like this is a God-ordained thing is because we're starting to experience resistance in strange ways. In strange ways. And, and people that, that would otherwise, I'd felt like we're going to be totally on board and for this, have, have created resistance. And you're like, what's going on? Why? why? And, and oftentimes we're talking to people and we're trying to share with people. By the way, if you have any questions or concerns about our future moving ahead, please come to leadership. Please come talk to us. Our door is always open. And we're, we want to talk this through. And we want to help you. Because we know, for many of us up here on the hill, that, that there's grief and there's loss and there's change. And change is difficult. But what we don't want to do is allow the enemy to come in and to plant seeds that we know will be destructive moving forward. And so realize that at any, any time, our doors are open, but, God, but Satan wants to use anything he can to distract and to create uh, doubts and to tempt us to come against relationally our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, when it comes to moving ahead and accomplishing God's mission. So 
real quick, and in closing, I'm going to give us nine steps, nine tactics to uh, approach when we deal with uh, this kind of thing. As some of you are much more aware of this, others of you, it's kind of relatively maybe new, and you haven't necessarily ac- exercised some spiritual gifts and seen the resistance that has come against you. Uh, some of you just experience resistance because we live in a broken, fallen world, and it's just hard to get up in the morning sometimes, is it not? And, and we see in the beginning that God said, he said to Adam, he said, you know, you're going to try to plant plants and grow food and weeds are just going to grow up. And through the sweat on your brow, you're going to actually have to work the ground. So even just having a job and facing the challenges of work every day is part of the result of the fall. I believe that the garden was just going to produce tons of fruit and food naturally. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? I mean, there's great, there's great uh, identity form, formation when you work and you contribute to society. It's a wonderful thing. But oftentimes the challenges that you face each and every day with people and with stuff and with things, you know, it's like, it's like Murphy's Law, right? Right when you think everything's kind of getting in a groove and then things starts breaking down and there's chaos and it's the second law of thermodynamics where everything moves from, you know, order to chaos and not the other way around, right? Well, that's because we live in a broken world and we're honest about that. These are some, way, some things, some tactics that we can take to come against uh, some, some of these things. Number one, just what we're trying to do today is to understand our enemy. The first thing it's, is to understand his tactics, his schemes. We need to know what he's able to do, his limitations because he is limited, and the various ways he works. So the Bible says put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, Ephesians 6. This can be primarily through the studying and reading of his word. So we get into his word so we can understand more about our role in this life and more about uh, the role of, of others and the role of, this, of the spirits and to understand the discerning I talked about of understanding what, what's going on. Number two, knowing his methods. We need to know how he works. Not be ignorant. Not give him more credit than what is his due. Uh, but then realize that he still affects us. We need to know how he works. Uh, The Bible says no advantage may be gained over us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his devices, 2 Corinthians 2. The Bible also talks about doing this one thing, and it's testing the spirits. What does that mean? We, the Bible says, beloved, do not believe everything you hear, every spirit, but test it to make sure it's from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. The Bible says, so if someone doesn't, state that Jesus came in the flesh and died on the cross for the sins of the world, was buried and rose again and conquered death. If someone doesn't state that that's false or that is not true, uh, the Bible's clear that that's a false prophet, someone who is actually trying to deceive and lie because that would be what Satan would try to do. So we test the spirits. Number four, we need to be actively watching. Now, like I said, this isn't like thinking that Satan's behind every bush. And causing every little thing that goes wrong, you know, you can't find your parking spot. It's like, well, then some, de- some demon did that to you. No, right? We live in a broken, fallen world and things sometimes just go awry, right? But be discerning and we actively watch. So, for example, when, 
they cannot for the life of them know why and discover and find out why this guy Paddock shot down out of, out of Mandalay Bay 58 people and then wounded hundreds of others. And they're trying to find psychological, they're trying to find historical, they're all these things and they cannot find out why. And they're trying to pin it on something human, right? Humanistic. You and I can say, no, there's, there's a really good reason for that. Because Satan is described as the one who came to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's destroyed families, this, this gunman did. He destroyed his own life. He's killed people. And he's stolen and robbed children of their parents and growing up with their parents. He's done the very thing that Satan is described specifically as the author of. Stealing, killing, and destroying. So we don't need to be all up in arms and wondering, where did this come from? We know where it came from. And so therefore, we're actively watching and discerning and understanding the days and the times in which we live. And so we're, we're sober-minded, the Bible says, and we're vigilant and we're careful because we don't want to contribute to any of that counter-kingdom. We want to put ourselves directly in the middle of God's will accomplishing his works and his ways so that we don't find ourselves coming against the work of God. When, when Jesus was going to the cross, his best, most devoted disciple, yes, Peter, who often put his you know, foot in his mouth, he said, surely you're not going to the cross, right? You're not going to die. And Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. He, he exposed the root of those words, he exposed it for what it was because it was not according to God's will. It was according to the counter kingdom, Satan's will, right? And so we need to be discerning as well. Uh, number, f- number five, we need to resist him when he comes. The Bible says to, for believers to resist the devil. Be therefore uh, subject therefore unto God. Resist him and he will flee from you. That's a promise. So you don't have to be worried about him harassing you all the time. You resist him. You rebuke him. And you just, and you just run. And you say, I don't need this right now. I'm going to believe in God. I'm going to trust in God. God's a good God. All authority and power has been given to me. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Therefore, you don't have to be afraid. See, we're not, we're not doing this teaching for us to be in fear. Because we have authority and power over the enemy. Uh, but you do need to resist when he comes. Okay, it's an idea of withstanding, stand your ground. Uh, And John said, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young people because you have conquered the evil one, John says. So we're conquerors. The Bible says we're more than conquerors in Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us. Therefore, we can conquer the evil one in all his works and ways. Number uh, six, but we do have weak areas, right? And we have to be honest about our vulnerabilities. You know what your weak areas are. I know what mine are. And, and I acknowledge I have, to, uh, I have to be honest about where I am weak. Because the, those are the areas where I'm vulnerable to the attacks when I'm, when I'm weakest. Uh, the Bible says don't give an opportunity to the devil and to his work. Ephesians 4. And then we need to realize that it's not in our strength, not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. Our strength comes from His strength in us. In and of ourselves, we're too weak to fight against the enemy. We can't do it. 
But in Christ, all things are possible and we're strong enough in him. So it's not by our strength. We learn this lesson from Michael, the archangel, dealing with Satan when he was contending with the devil and they disputed about this body of Moses, another mysterious verse, uh, that Michael said, the Lord rebuke you. And so we know that it's not us against him, but it's us in Christ and the light that comes against the darkness. And sometimes we just need to uh, recognize that we need to avoid certain situations. There are certain people that that drag you down and put you in a space where it's unhealthy and you, you can't uh, avoid just the, the, the bitterness and the hurt and the wounds or the, just the griping and the complaining. Stay away from complainers who are constantly complaining because that's the spirit of, of the enemy, right? There's certain situations you just have to avoid. Uh, and then lastly, number nine, We put on the full armor of God. Ephesians 6, and I'll close with this. Our struggle is not against the enemies of blood and flesh. So in other words, when you see a a massive shooting or when you see something that's just terrible, evil incarnate, you need to realize Ephesians 6 says our battle is not in flesh and blood. It's not just the here and now. It's not just against other humans. He says, but it's against rulers and authorities and against cosmic powers in this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Paul says, take up the full armor of God. And we've done messages on what those pieces of the armor are. The sword of the spirit is the offensive weapon of the word, but the rest is defensive. Helmet, the feet fitted with the gospel peace, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, right? This, you protect yourself and so that you can withstand on the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. So we acknowledge Satan's not the reason that everything happens in this life, but we also acknowledge that he's probably more active than some of us are willing to admit. So we stand in the middle in the strength of God's power with the full armor of God, We open our eyes and we're discerning in our world. And we recognize. And what should be our response? We should pray. And we should interact in the spirit. We should be discerning. We should be watching. We should be waiting. We should be trusting in God even when bad things happen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, uh, I thank you that none of this stuff I made up on my own. And I didn't come up with this. This has been in your word for for ages and ages. And many, many Christians throughout the centuries have gained strength and power from trusting in your word and the truth that's in your word. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Lord and Savior, for being our strong arm, for being our defender. Thank you, God, that you have won the victory on the cross and there is perfect love is casting out all fear. We don't need to be afraid. And we can trust in you in all things. Father, we thank you for the gifts that you give us. uh, The financial gifts that you give us. As we enter into our time of offering, I thank you for the, the blessings of provision that you have given us. This all comes from you. And as we give back now, this is a small token of what you've already given to us. So we ask your blessing on it. Use it for your purposes and your will, your kingdom work. In Jesus' name, amen.
Will you stand with us after the offering baskets are passed? We're going to sing together a hymn. I hope you guys all know if you'll join in and sing this with us. Amazing grace, how sweet. 